Well, good evening, Neighborhood Church. Glad to be here with you all. Glad that you're tuning in online now or later. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts, which is in the second half of your Bible, the New Testament. In chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, we'll be there in just a moment. Acts, if you recall, in our On Again, Off Again series, is the story of how the good news of Jesus is on the move to everyone, everywhere. And we're rounding home toward the last long section, and we come to somewhat of a climax of Paul's ministry. And it is a wild, strange story that highlights again the confrontation of the story of Jesus, better known as the gospel. The gospel, in three words, is that Jesus is Lord. And so it highlights the confrontation with this story. Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And it butts up against other forces vying for the allegiance of people. Forces at work in the world that seek power over others. Forces at work in the world that seek to demonize others or to even invite the strange and mysterious force of demons into their own hearts and lives. This is a story of confrontation. And it's a story of which power is going to win out. The power of the Lordship of Jesus that has forgiven humanity and filled those who called on his name with the very Holy Spirit? Or will the powers of money and magic win the day? This is the story, this strange and wild story in Acts chapter 19. And some of you are thinking, what a strange summer series before we go back to school But I think by the end of it, we'll pose three questions that will get us thinking as we enter into a new season about the kind of power that animates our everyday lives. It may look less dramatic, but it's still just as vital. Let's look at Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. It's getting weird. Ready? So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. So imagine uh, like sweat cloths or like a towel that you'd put around your belt, like a wide receiver or a quarterback. Sorry, I've got training camp as the NFL season approaches on the brain. But this is wild, isn't it? There's something at work in and through Paul, that even these garments had some sort of power within them. So then we're introduced in verse 13 to to this itinerant group of Jewish religious people. And they went around driving out evil spirits. So they tried to hitch their wagon. They tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed or demonized. And they would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. 
gets weirder. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest. So we think there's no official record. So this ragtag roving group of exorcists somehow have attached their name to this person called Siva. Going around kicking out demons. And in verse 15, one of the evil spirits answered them. Jesus I know and Paul I know about. But who are you? Gets weirder. Verse 16. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. This is my favorite part. Ready? He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. (laughs) This is weird. Verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus... They were all seized with fear. Some translations say awestruck. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. Which is to say, hey, we've been trafficking in some kind of stuff like that too. Some magic and whatever. So they outed themselves and we realized that because of what happens next. Verse 19. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Now a denarii is like a day's wage. A drachma is another unit of currency. But think lots and lots of silver coins that amounted to hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of spell books and these Magic items. Verse 20. So in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in what? Power. And then finally, we shift gears as Paul's ministry comes to this climax before transitioning to the last phase of the book when he heads to Rome. Verse 21. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. That's a hinge. That's a transition. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. If you have it open, and before I ask you three big questions, I need you to look at verse 11. Because there's a key word right at the top. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Through Paul. That is a key word, through. It's not look at Paul and how magical and powerful he is. There is something that Paul is connected to that enables Paul to be a channel through which power to heal and kick out darkness is made manifest. Paul is a channel. It's not look at Paul or look at me. There's something essential about the word through. We know that through is a key word because if you look back again at verse 17... You see that when they hear about that wild and weird scene that we read about, they didn't say, boy, if only Paul were here. They said, wow, 
This name of Jesus must be a big deal. Whatever Paul's got going in them sweaty old cloths, he didn't drum it up on his own. There was something about the source that Paul was acting in and through. It's not about Paul and his power. It's about Jesus and his power. Finally, I'll bring your attention to verse 20 to seal the deal. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in what? Power. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, gives us two summary statements in chapter 6, verse 7, and I believe around 14. I wish I had written it down, but go find it and then tell me. And it's a summary statement about how the word of God spread. How the story of God goes to everyone, everywhere. But something's different in Acts chapter 19 as opposed to 6 and elsewhere. This summary statement adds a word, power. The word of the Lord, not Paul, spread widely and grew in power. Something happened, not because of Paul, but through Paul. And it has to do with power. Which leads us to our first of three questions tonight. What's the power filling your life? What's the power filling your life? I want you to think about this not just in some spiritual kind of theory, but imagine that you are some kind of like tinker toy, some like old marching robot. And the robot can't move unless the robot has a power source. And so you open up the little trap door in the back, and you go and dig around your kitchen junk drawer and find two AA batteries, and you pop them in the back, and then the eyes light up, and then the thing starts to move and walk. Now, just like this little toy that is only animated and moving forward when a power source is connected, so too our lives get moving in some direction based on the power that's animating it. And to bring it from theory into everyday life is the batteries in your heart and in the trapdoor on your back get more money. Get more recognition. Find more acceptance. Make a name for myself. Just keep surviving. Just keep moving. There's some force, something that animates our life. And it keeps us waking up. It keeps us going to work. It keeps us within these relationships. And at some point what happens is like that robot, you bump in to some wall or the coffee table and you realize that you need even more strength to navigate around the obstacles. And then you better really check your batteries because is it enough to get me through the inevitable difficulties that life will bring across our path? 
in a very dramatic way, the seven sons of Siva, whoever they are, ran up against a wall because they thought that their batteries were, oh, we can get even better at the thing we travel around doing for money and clout if we use this guy's name. They were trying to get some third-hand glory from in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. Do you see the six degrees of separation? Hey, maybe if we go and do this for these guys, we can get what's driving us. Money, recognition, so that we can go to the next town and keep doing that. If this works, this is useful for us. And so they didn't say, in the name of Jesus, who's Lord of heaven and earth, from a place of battery packed from heaven on earth. They said, um, in the name of Jesus, that this one guy that we heard. There's a disconnect from the source of power. They got some off-brand batteries that have no juice in them because they are disconnected from the source. So they run up against a wall and it's spiritual forces that overpower them literally. Whipping them, stripping them, sending them away to the urgent care with a wild story to tell. Your life is probably not as dramatic as running up against a wall of some kind of mysterious evil spirits. But every one of us in this room can raise our hand and say... I have met the edge of a coffee table and it's caused me to look back at my batteries and say, does it have what it takes to move forward? And this can even be those of us who say, Jesus, you are my batteries. You are what fills me, forms me, keeps me moving. You are the power that's filling my life. But every once in a while, we realize we've also relied too heavily on our own strength, our own resources, our own stuff, our own self. This is why sickness is so fascinating. Because if you're the person that gets sick like me, it's what can I take, what can I do right now? I got to wait for four hours for the medicine. What can I do until then? I must fix this. I don't like this. And it's in those moments that you run up against that kind of coffee table that you say, oh, wait, this is beyond me. It may not be as dramatic as a bunch of demons putting a whipping on somebody, and it may not be as dramatic as sickness, but it's better to ask the question now, what's the battery pack? What's filling and animating and keeping me going forward? Because what happens when my job is gone, when I have less money, when I have less stuff, when my body starts to break down, what's going to carry me through the end? And the thing that I'm becoming more and more certain of about our faith, and faith is a word that is synonymous with trust. If your trust can't work when you hit the coffee table, it doesn't work. If your faith doesn't work when you're 92 years old on your deathbed, 
it doesn't work now. So the question is, is the power that I'm trying to keep connected to, the power that's animating my life, one that looks like this. Jesus is Lord. There is strength and forgiveness and the resources I need to love and live now and forever. That must be the central source of power in our lives. The sons of Siva were faking it. You pop open the back and there's no batteries there. They fail to see the reality that it's got to be rooted in Jesus. You see, Ephesus was the center of political power, financial power, as we see at the end of 19 next week, Lord willing. And it's also the center of magical power. And in this weird scene, Luke is showing us yet again that the power of Jesus is stronger than the power of all the diet versions of what can confront us like the coffee tables in our life. The sons of Siva failed to see it. The crowd will eventually say, whoops, we had the wrong batteries. We were plugged in to the wrong source of power. For them, it was their magic books from their heroes like the sons of Siva. And they said, this ain't going to cut it. And they burned it publicly. They put their money where their mouth is because they wrestled with the question, what's the power filling your life? It's better to ask and discern now, God, are you really what I'm leaning into on those stressful afternoons? Are you really who I'm seeking when things go sideways? You better ask now before you're confronted with the darkness that will invariably come. That's the first question. What's the power filling your life? Here's a couple thoughts for you. God, who created humanity, dignified humanity by becoming one of us in Christ. Okay? If I were to ask you, find an, show me an arrow of direction of power. Is that power that goes from bottom up that describes that sentence? Or is it power that goes top down? There's a sneaky thing here with those two little triangles pointing up. Maybe I'm trying to trick you. If I were to say, in an arrow, where is the power coming from in that first sentence? The God who created humanity dignified humanity by becoming one of us in Christ. Let me give you a hint. No, let me give you the answer. God in heaven, where the word of God who was God became flesh. And Christ, Jesus, who was with God in the very beginning and through whom all things were created, lowered himself by becoming one of us. He emptied himself and became obedient even to the point of death. That's an arrow that goes top down. All right. Now I'm going to ask you the same question for the next sentence. Then God fills us with the Holy Spirit, joining us on earth to the life of heaven. Arrow bottom up, arrow top down. What do you think? 
Is any of this making sense? Let me give you another answer. If God fills us with the Holy Spirit, again, there is something coming from heaven to earth. And the Holy, descent, the Holy Spirit descended on the people and there was tongues of fire and were filled. This is an arrow pointed down. Why is this important? Because if you grew up in your grandmama's church singing songs about all fly away, oh glory, all fly away, you've missed something essential about the story the Bible is telling. That God has always sought to bring more of heaven to earth. So much so that if you flip to the end of the story, the last two chapters are so much less about us going from the bottom to the top and more about the tippy top of heaven coming down to earth so that the world would be reclamated and renewed. The movement between heaven and earth is top down. God is providing us the resources from heaven to live and love and serve and walk forward no matter what coffee table we bump into. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, the work and message of God's kingdom is the reclamation of what's been lost on earth and the revelation of how it ought to be as it is in heaven. So when Paul walks around with his sweaty, powerful handkerchiefs, and he lays it on a person, and a miracle happens. Listen, that is acutely a moment that reclaims something on earth for heaven. The word at the beginning, when he healed diseases, is literally, they were released from their disease. They were released from evil. It's a reclamation of a life that was once lost in addiction and brokenness and mental illness and suffering and bodily harm. And it says, bam, right here, right now, the finger point of heaven says, not today. And it reclaims what was lost and says, this is now just as it ought to be in heaven. It's a reclamation of what's lost. And that way it's a revelation that puts the world on notice that sickness and hatred and brokenness and bitterness will not make it through the end. It's a foretaste of when more and more of heaven will be poured out onto earth so that one day everywhere you look will be on earth as it is in heaven. It's from the top down. And the reminder for us when we ask the question, what kind of power is filling us, is the degree to which we're aware of that, attentive to that, drawing on the resources when we can't forgive, when we can't give, when we can't serve, when we can't keep going. We say, God, I'm at the end of myself and I'm looking beyond to you and I'm asking from heaven for the resources to move ahead. Because this is simply too much. And God says, I may not give you what you want, but I promise to be with you and give you what you need. Because in the moment of your everyday life, 
or ultimately at the end of all things, God is working to reclaim and heal and liberate what was lost in darkness. So this may be a dramatic and weird and wild scene, but it reminds us that power is on the loose. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that fills and forms you. From sixth grade to 60 and beyond. The crowd says, oops, we were looking in the wrong direction. We in Garland say, oops, we were looking for our own self and stuff and status and strength. And when push comes to shove and we knock against the wall, what was inside gets revealed. So the second question, what would spill out of your cup? Let's shift metaphors and understand that God is filling us with the resources of heaven. And the familiar metaphor in our church is that God gives us his grace, his power, his peace as a pitcher filling into a cup. And our fourth core practice, which is create space, is to say it's better to get a refill if you would keep the cup still and steady. Nobody walks into the restaurant and they say, can I get you some more water? And they grab their cup and say, sure, you ready? And they start to do this. There's something about placing ourselves before God, allowing ourselves to be acted upon, that he might fill us and form us with what we need for the day. If you grew up in a youth group, you probably heard in the 90s somebody say, what's your quiet time like? You better get up. You better read a devotional. You better read a Bible. And some of us felt so bad and so legalistic that we weren't a Christian if we couldn't do a quiet time consistently to sit and be filled. And I just want to reclaim that and say, forget the shame, forget the bitterness, but can you see a nugget of truth that there's something about creating space, morning, noon, night, whatever, that puts you back into contact of the one who wants to fill you and give you what you need just to make it through the day. Our dear friend from Russia, Rahman, saw a painting that my late great aunt painted, and it's of a violinist. And I had it in my old office, and he looked at it, and he was asking about it. And I said, yeah, my great aunt painted it. It's pretty cool, right? And he says, it's so interesting that it's here in your office, and I just wonder what it would be like for you to sit down and look at it every morning and say, you know what? A violinist never plays without tuning his instrument first. Think about that. And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to tell every single person about that when I tell him about this painting now. When they look at that painting and say, my great aunt painted it and I'm a pastor. And I think about every time how, you know, before I go and play, I must tune my instrument and get in tune with God. And they say that's really deep, and I say it pays to have a deep friend in Russia. There's something about getting in tune, getting filled. Because what happens later in the day, when I'm not in tune, when I'm not filled, when I have the wrong batteries, pick your metaphor, and this person cuts me off. No, no, no. When I get upset 
with my kids that I love? What spills out? The thing is, if I had a mug full of coffee and I got jostled and rattled, what spills out of that mug? Coffee. If I had tea in my mug, if I get jostled and rattled, what spills out of my mug? Tea. (laughs) If I get jostled and rattled and bitterness comes out and unforgiveness comes out, and greed comes out, and anger comes out, and those cuss words I tried to give up for Lent comes out, I have to reckon, then what's getting put in? This is an idea that came our way through Pinterest. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Ramon. But the point being made, what would spill out of your cup? Sons of Siva, what's coming out of your cup When you get confronted with the powers of darkness, they look and they empty it out and they say, oh, nothing. Whoops. We did not have the power to contend with the dark forces at this world. Nothing was in my cup. Hey, crowd, what was in your cup? Oh, all this strange pagan, they sometimes work, they sometimes don't. Magic spells, I don't know. I think it's not much. And we say, yeah, it's not. And they say, well, we don't need it. But I want to fill it with something that does have power to contend with the mysteries of life. And they realize, oh, I think there's something about Jesus. And when Paul writes to Ephesus, where he is, he prays a prayer, listen, in chapter 3, that they would be filled with God's power. And that they would be rooted In God's love. You've rejected the imitation. The diet power. Now would you be filled to the measure of God's power. The letter he writes to the people that burned the books. Are stay connected. Stay filled up. And so the final question I'll leave you as I close. Is this. What might God's power do through you. Let's end it where we started in verse 11. Mighty miracles were being performed through Paul. Paul couldn't do it on his own, but he was a vessel. He was a cup filled to the brim with the power of heaven. And when it was poked and poured, what came out was more heaven. Because not only does the arrow go from God to us to fill us and form us, but then keep drawing the arrow through to your neighbor that's desperate for connection and love. What might God's power do through you? And you say, well, I don't know. My handkerchiefs are just sweaty. And I say, okay. It does not have to be dramatic like that at all. What matters is that it's not about you. But the degree to which you can tap into the life of heaven, you can love someone well this week. You can change the trajectory of someone's day by your attentiveness and listening ear. What might God do through you? What might a small act done with great love do to bring more of heaven 
on earth. How might you love, include, serve, or give? You see, there's a temptation if we don't ask and if we don't keep God at the center. There's a temptation in our work. There's a temptation in our struggles. There's a temptation in our relationships that we do the work of God without staying connected to God. We can even do something for Christ, but not in Christ. I'm going to say it because I typed it. Yikes. Some of you with ears to hear say, I know exactly what that looks like in our culture. We're going to win the world for Christ no matter what. No matter who it hurts, no matter who we step on, no matter who we demonize and ostracize, we will do this for Christ. And we will win the Inquisition. We will win the Crusades. We will own humans because it's slavery in the Bible. We will subjugate women. We will ostracize minorities for Christ. And we go on to keep walking, but the batteries are broken. The water is tainted. Because we can do the work of God without staying connected to God. We can work for Christ but not in Christ. For if you remain in me, you will produce good fruit, fruit that lasts. For apart from me, you can do nothing or worse. John 15. So what can God do through us? Boy, it better stay connected in him. How you do what you do matters to a watching world. How you love and listen matters to a watching world. How you post matters to a watching world. How you do your work matters to a watching world with integrity and love. May we be a people who stays connected, who checks the batteries, who gets our cup filled, whatever it looks like. May we be animated and filled and formed by the life of heaven. To go and do the work of Christ in the name of Christ as Christ himself would do it. For he is Lord and we are his. Amen and amen. Go out into the world and stay connected with the power that heals the sick, raises the dead, and casts out darkness. Seek God in his wisdom. Hide yourself from the corruptions of pride and adulation. Entrust whatever you have to Christ, for with Him there is always, there will always be more than enough. And may God strengthen you in your inner beings. May Christ Jesus dwell in your hearts through faith. And may the Holy Spirit plant your roots deeply in the abundant richness of God's love. Go in peace. <laughs>